All right, we're live here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Nick Zeno. We're going to be talking about his music. It's very good to have you here. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So for people who don't know, you created the two th th songs, A Guy Like Smash and Long Dead for Endzone 2, which I'm heavily involved in. And uh, so how did you get involved in Endzone 2? Well, if I, if I remember correctly... It was very happenstance that I posted on on Facebook uh, something like life goal, write a song for a horror movie. And then like a short time later, I got an instant message from from uh, Michael J. Epstein said, hey, funny, you should post that. Uh, we happen to be making a movie we're looking for a, a song for. We think you might be able to, to write something. So I started working. Uh, I started working with him and trying to figure out what they what they would want, uh, and it just sort of went from there. Just sort of uh, wrote something to to order, which I hadn't really ever done before. So it was a lot of fun to work within those sort of parameters. Yeah, and it's a very specific um, like style that we were going for, for the movie. So like, how did he pitch that to you? Like, uh, this is, you know, what we want. I forget. He had a list of three or four, like 70s singer songwriter, uh, names that he wanted me to shoot for. And I submitted a couple of things that didn't quite work. Uh, and then I decided I don't, I mostly write on guitar and I, to sit down at a piano and see if that would sort of change the way this, the song would come out. And it, it did change it uh, greatly. I've been listening to a lot of, uh, of Randy Newman and, and Warren Zevon, but I knew he wanted something. Um, man, I, I was, I was just looking back through the emails. I didn't find the, the references. It had to be something sort of uh, very much of its time of very much like, mid 70s sort of i don't want to say uh i don't want to say cheesy but sort of uh something that that sounded sort of dated something that would be very much of the the genre at that time so i started doing i i came up with a sort of bouncy kind of riff for it and tried to write lyrics that that would be using football as a metaphor <laughs> for for hope i tried to sort of figure the person writing this wouldn't necessarily think they're writing a, a football song like they they're they'd be incapable of just writing a song about football they would have to use it as a metaphor mm -hmm. uh for something even if that metaphor is really messy and and on the nose and it just sort of winds up uh becoming a a, a little bit overly sincere maybe i don't know if that that makes sense as yeah uh both songs are perfect in my opinion because uh a guy like smash feels like a song uh we were saying it's like written by someone maybe not even watch football i also think it would be like maybe they even know it's like for a horror movie 
And yeah, that happens so often in, in in movies from a certain era, and I I actually love that. It was something me and Michael, like uh, you had this had we're on the same page with like um, the the end song from My Bloody Valentine. Uh, the theme from uh, the Mutilator is completely out of place, and uh, right. which makes it amazing. I think. Well, there was also uh, um, Long Dead came from watching like the folk horror stuff that couldn't decide whether it it couldn't really commit to being horror in the late sixties, early seventies. Uh, and that had a lot of really earnest folk music with like pipes and French horns. It was more sort of, sort of brooding. I just wrote, I had already written smash and that had already, but we were already sort of working on that. And then long dead. I, I, I wrote as sort of an exercise, like, could I wrote, write this kind of, uh, overly earnest folk song with like the, the, the gentle arpeggiation and, uh, and that, that those pipes or I can't remember whether I used a French horn sound on the keyboard or, or pipes, but yeah, that was a lot of three in the morning watching horror movie inspiration. Uh, what's your history? Uh, I, I don't want to interrupt you. Sorry. What's your history with Michael and Sophia? Like, uh, how did you know them? Well, I, I'm based in Boston, and they were based here for a very long time. And I knew them from around the music scene. They used to host an open mic at the Arts at the Armory that I would show up at a lot. And when I started uh, my Department of Tangents podcast years ago, I interviewed them for that. Uh, so that's that's how I, I got to know them. But they I mean, if you're doing any sort of art in Boston while they were here, especially, I think you would you would run across them because they were just, you know, everywhere, a very ambitious sort of doing everything, doing uh, doing video, doing movies, doing music. It seems like they're they're always they're, they're never without a project to work on usually probably two or three or four or five. Yeah. It's weird. I live in Massachusetts too. I'm in the Cape, but I didn't meet, I met Michael briefly before they moved out to LA, but I didn't mean meet Sophia till after they moved to LA. So that's mm. very odd, but, and you know, now we've done stuff together, but uh, so how much did you know about the movies? I know you obviously knew there was like football involved. Like how much did you know about end zone two? Not a ton, and I think that was by design. Uh, I, I think, I think Michael might have said at some point that he didn't want to describe it too much. Uh, the information that I had would be enough to write the song in the spirit yeah. that it needed to be uh, written in, as sort of the a, a guy who doesn't necessarily know what he's writing for. Uh, I I only actually saw the the movie late last year mm -hmm. uh, after it had uh, been to, to a couple of festivals, so it was fun to see how the music wound up in there. I knew that it was about football. He he explained the uh, the premise of Smash and there being uh, two actors who had played Smash, sort of vying. For the role, I didn't. I did not know it was. It was two movies. 
I only learned that oh, sort of okay. later on in, in the in the in the process because I thought it was all sort of built into one. Right. Yeah. Um, I think early on the idea it changed really quickly early on, but originally, like there was the idea we would film the end zone two stuff to like put into smash but then i think early on they're like well if we're gonna bother doing that we might as well just make the the whole movie it probably you know cost wise if you're gonna rent the cabin stuff you might as well just film the whole movie yeah i think it i think it works well i it, it's gonna be interesting with streaming distribution whenever that happens if people find both movies together or if they i i've I'm kind of uh, amused if somebody were to say just find end zone two first mm-hmm. and not know about once in future smash and find that later, like how many people would take that movie sort of seriously as, well, I mean, it is, it is a real movie, right. but it's also the concept. Yeah, they think it's the like, a, this is a movie that we found and restored from 1970. And then you'd be like, Hey, let me go in and check out this documentary about it. And then, uh, yeah. Cause it's, it's fairly spot on as, I don't know you, it's not a parody really. It's, it's no. a movie in that genre mm-hmm. that was created as a vehicle for another movie. So how, how, how do you describe what, <laughs> what end zone two is? Yeah. Because like you said, it's not a parody. So there, there's not, you're not like, none of it's like really winking at the camera. There's yeah. stuff in the dialogue which references movies that come after, mm-hmm. but it's done in a way where I think if you're not, if you don't know, you're just like, oh, that's interesting, whatever. But it's never like jokey, look like at the camera. Yeah. Like if, if I came across this, uh, if I came across that on its own on Tubi, I would not question the, that as a horror movie. Yeah. That's interesting because um, so when we, I, I always thought we should have showed End Zone 2 first at the festivals and then the Once in Future Smash. But actually, after we went to the festivals and I watched them both, I think it is the right order. We show the Once in Future Smash, then End Zone 2. Mm-hmm. But we have talked a little bit off air and stuff about like what you just said. When if after they're out there, you know, they won't be together on uh the Blu-ray, which you can get at withoutyourhead.com slash touchdown. That'll be out later, but you can help the mm-hmm. Kickstarter. Uh, obviously then you can watch them together but like you said on tubi or something uh, people probably discover them separately and you know it'll be up to them which order they watch them or if they only watch one and uh-huh. it's gonna be it'll be very weird it'll be a completely different experience than going to a festival and watching them back to back well and you can also get more mileage out of that because there's uh oh you might know there what was the movie uh that was also made ar- around uh, Boston somewhere a little bit north of Boston a winter beast do you remember oh, that I don't one? know that one no it's they made it over a period of like 16 years oh wow and, and sometimes just whenever they got the money they would get a camera and shoot it so the the footage looks wildly different from scene <laughs> to scene the actors are noticeably older sometimes within a scene uh the, like you you'll pan from one guy from away from somebody and then pan back to them and they're like 10 years older but all but trying to look exactly that they tried to match it all up but so you know you could do so you could 
the, this could be the gift that keeps on giving. There could be so much more end zone footage that shows up later uh, on a lark. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, well, we've talked, uh, depending on the success, you know, possibly there could be more of these. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if Michael and Sophia are into that, unless someone comes in with a lot of money to make part three or maybe right. the original or whatever. So well, when the, you did, oh, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, and this, this was a pandemic project as well. So I'm sure they're happy. Oh, my cat's about to make a, a cameo. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. We almost always have an animal making an appearance. Yeah. But I, I'd assume that, that Mike and Sophia w are thankful to, to be able to move on to, to something else just because it's been the, the time spent working on this has been so much expanded by the, the pandemic. Yeah, we filmed um, End Zone 2 at the end of 2019, and then we filmed uh, the majority of Smash, you know, the stuff in the in the convention in 2020, like in February. It was like, it was literally like a week or two before everything shut down, and then, you know, we didn't know, like, how we were going to finish it. It really changed everything, because the idea was after um, Mad Monster, we were going to go to uh, Texas Frightmare and film some more uh stuff there and then you know everything got shut down so it it changed how we were going to finish the movie it did uh allow you to to interview a few more people and and yes a little bit more into it though right so there was something it wasn't all bad no so the original idea was we we're going to film more people at other conventions and put them in but then um <clears throat> the workaround was once they we could actually they could actually meet people uh the people i was setting up um you know, we had them, they would film them out in LA and, and put them in the movie. And that stuff is all amazing. So it worked out uh, well. I think. So when you first saw end zone two and you hear a guy like smash uh, during the scene, during uh, the scene mm -hmm. with smash and uh, Dahlia DeMont, uh, what did you think of that scene? Cause it's, I saw, I've seen the, you know, the scene without the score and then with the score, it's, it is a much different feeling. Oh, you mean the, the, uh, the, Sorry, the, it's all right. to keep my cat from flashing the camera here. You mean the, the the karaoke scene? That one? Well, no, that's in Smash. But I mean, ends. We'll get oh, to that oh. too. But in Enzo, oh, right, 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 the, right. There's a kill when the song plays. Yeah. Oh, that that was of a, a, a thrill for me to see, and that was there was also. Oh, <laughs> my cat just unplugged my camera. <laughs> um, she gets. A little like enough of this guy about that that kind of stuff <laughs> and yeah that was a lot of fun to see and i think uh i think you guys played with that a little bit so that that it repeats a, a phrase from the song in there i'm sure i'm trying to 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 picture it to get it in my head now but yeah it was it was an it was an honor to see something i wrote for for a minute you sort of forget oh oh yeah i wrote the song that, that, that's that's playing right now in in this is that you singing yeah oh cool i actually didn't know that i oh i tried to i i i tried to i don't know why i made this choice he it sounds a little like me doing a leon redbone impression <laughs> and it just seemed like that would that would work i don't know why I, I can't I'm being Emma's being extremely rude right now first she unplugged my camera now she's swatting my face with her tail. 
And I'm just oh, gonna. I, I'm, I love it. Yeah. What's just, uh, what's her name, by the way? The cat. That, that is Emma. Emma. All right. I'm just gonna pretend like I'm a a, a bad weather reporter, the guy that they send out during the <laughs> rainstorm. <laughs> I love it. Is the rainstorm Emma? Okay, we're gonna deal with this. So, uh, since you mentioned it, the karaoke scene, so um, I can't even remember. I have it on my phone somewhere. Uh, recorded when we actually filmed the um, karaoke scene. I can't remember the original song, the real song they were singing, but it really works in the movie when they put in a, a guy like Smash. And well, so, they Mike did send me footage of that of uh, of the the two leads with lyric sheets singing the singing the song, which was like sure not terribly long after I sent him uh, what was the the finished product. Uh, on my side so it was it was fun to see that as well like that this thing is actually especially since a lot of it was just recorded in the, this basement during the pandemic which i did not leave like oh hey this song somehow is out in the greater world somewhere there is still a greater world out there somewhere should i ever be able to leave the house again <laughs> so uh you didn't get to see it with an audience either movie no, I've not. I've not got to see it with an audience. I do have a movie screen in front of me right now, and this is my basement workspace, and I have a projector. So I watched it on a somewhat big screen here. This is my like Omega Man-like existence, watching Woodstock on the screen. Well, everything else is <laughs> shut down. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get a Boston uh, screening. Uh, we played like uh, many other places, but we didn't play anywhere in Boston. Well, I'm hoping it it comes here. Uh, there are some places around where it might be a a, a good fit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we uh, yeah, like Brattle or Coolidge, or but yeah, there, there'd be some good places if it it, it would it would be a really fun time to watch it with because uh, I know a lot of my friends in Boston uh, and their friends in Boston have not seen it yet. So, well, there's there's the Salem Horror Fest coming up mm -hmm. in a couple months too, but that's probably too it's probably too late to get in there. But they've got a, a great vibe to that. Yeah, yeah, I've never been to that. I've heard good things. I don't know why I've never been out to it. But. Yeah, it's it's very well curated. It's a it's a fun time, and they do it now in April, I think, instead of around because they used to do it around October, but Salem in October is yeah, absolutely it's, insane place. Yeah. It's not. It's honestly, uh, for anyone who wants to go to Salem, maybe if you want to experience one time like Halloween in Salem, or I I would recommend going to Salem outside of Halloween. I think uh, it's a for me, it's a better experience. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of fun stuff there. Going to to Salem during Halloween is it's kind of like the closest thing we have to uh, Times Square on New Year's Eve. I think it's just yeah, a it's lot a giant of giant mass of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not necessarily people I want to be around. No offense to them, but you know, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are Halloween is popular enough that there are subsets now it's not necessarily as like-minded or homogenous a group as it may have been much as comic cons have become i guess right yeah uh so uh catherine capazzi who uh scored um 
end zone two. Uh, are you familiar with her? Do you also know her from, from Boston area? Uh Oh, he froze up on me. Oh, am I back? Yeah, you're back now. Okay, well, I, you froze up just before that as well. What was oh. the you you're talking about, uh, uh, Catherine? Catherine Capazzi. Yeah, are you were you familiar with her? Do you know her from the Boston area as well? Yeah, I mean we we met actually at uh, Mike and Sophia's open mic at Arts at the Armory in Somerville. I think that's the first time we met, and I think we both have. Now I'm forgetting. We both have uh, aliases for the movie that she's read, and I forget what I I am. I was I was trying to look it up just before that, but we we both have this. The songs are credited under aliases, and I was actually coming up with a trying to come up with a bio for the songwriter that 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 wrote a guy like Smash. That helped me that's, sort of get into the mindset of that. Yeah, that's very fun. I um, did you do an interview as the character or anything? Not to spoil no. anything. No, I didn't. There was there was talk of it, but I think uh, time sort of ran out at some point. Uh, but it it would have been fun. But I, I think Mike and I also talked a little bit about background I, it was never a serious discussion i don't think it was just coming up with the goofiest but i think that that uh the idea the last idea that i heard was that i would be the son of the guy who wrote the music not actually the guy if they <laughs> right. were to, to interview me uh as that so yeah it's it's a fun sort of exercise to to write as somebody else or to come up with a completely different character. I mean, I had done the first time I played piano in public was shortly before the the pandemic. I did a Harry Nilsson tribute show. I played three songs, uh, and I try I tried to to uh, to dress up like harry nilsson might have so i got the the beige corduroy coat and the like a the 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 cabby cap and everything so that's all that all went into to whoever this guy would have been like i picture this guy playing dressed up in all of that stuff this the like the 70s style uh this the 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 singer songwriter who maybe would have been had a had a tryout with Asylum Records early on and didn't quite make it, something like that. Uh, so I also uh, you mentioned that you also um, cover stand up uh, comedy yes. in Boston, which is very interesting. So uh, music and stand up. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you get involved in that? Uh I became a, a writer just out of college. I wrote for the, the campus magazine. I, I went to college in Buffalo, New York, and started covering stand-up for the Buffalo News around 1997. Uh, then when I moved to Boston around a little, a few months after that, I started covering it for Stuff at Night and the Boston Phoenix, uh, both of which are gone now, unfortunately. 
And then uh, I moved on to doing a, a weekly column for the Boston Globe in uh, 2001. And I've been covering comedy for the Boston Globe ever since then. Uh, what, what what are some of the best places, in your opinion, to watch uh, stand-up comedy in Boston? Maybe some like Hidden Gems. Well, I really, I mean, it's it's a, a bit lazy for me because I, I live in Lynn, but in Beverly, just about 20 minutes away, they've done some really great things with the off-cabot, which is what uh, Nine Wallace used to be. Um, they've made that a really nice, intimate comedy room. I'm hoping that, that the uh, the comedy studio is coming back. That was my haunt or my hangout for years, uh, the third floor of the Hong Kong restaurant uh, in Cambridge. They've got another space that they're still trying to, to get open, which I think is going to open up later, uh, later in maybe in the, the summer. There are a, a lot of clubs around now laugh boston's a big club uh yeah on the seaport improv asylum if you like improv does a really great job with their main stage show i mean that that it's a really solid dependable show as dependable as improv can really get uh and there are a lot of smaller one night rooms out there now like the the hideout uh the Laugh Giraffe in Union Square. There are a lot of little rooms where you can go see people sort of on their way up, just sort of getting things together. Mm -hmm. For you, uh, like, do you just like, cover it all? So, uh, you know, do you like, like, you know, established acts? And then is, which is more fun for you? Like see an established act to see someone you starting out? I think you froze up on me again. What? Their voice. Because it, it can it can take a while, but it can also click very quickly. I mean, you can see somebody for years, and then over the course of a couple months, they figure something out, and all of a sudden, it's sort of there. Uh, there are also people who are, who are established headliners for a decade or more now that I saw sort of starting out. So in, in my head, I'm like, Oh, right. These aren't, these aren't still the new people. These are, these are people who've been doing this and headlining for a decade. You just remember seeing them in the, the smaller club. So you've got to, you, you've got to remember they're the, the established acts around here now. There, there are a lot of people I'd love to see perform uh, that are still in Boston. I mean, there's the whole dynamic of Boston being not an industry city necessarily. So people develop here and move on elsewhere. Uh, but we've had a lot of people who stayed and a lot of people like from the 80s boom scene. Like I love to see Tony V. He's one of my favorites and he's like one of the, the godfathers of the scene. And, and I don't know if if... If you don't like Tony V, I don't know what to do for you as a human being. Uh, but Lamont Price, I love watching him play. Uh, Kathy Ferris and Kelly McFarland. Uh, there are a lot of locals that I love to see. But I've, I've the, the Boston Globe has also allowed me to interview 
some legends along the way. Uh, and I have a, a, you know, a few great stories about that. Like, a, uh, like getting, being able to, to sit in Carl Reiner's living room in, oh, that's awesome. in uh, Beverly Hills uh, and G- George Shapiro, his manager, who was also Seinfeld's manager and was uh, Andy Kaufman's manager uh, was also sitting on the, the couch during that interview. And uh, Reiner had me take out my wallet and, I don't know what the impulse was, but he Reiner starts going through my wallet and saying, you've got so much stuff in here. This is so stupid. If you lose it and, and Shapiro yells from the, the couch, he's got a Costanza wallet. So it's like those weird sort of like you have those moments every once in a while, like is, you know, I grew up watching, Andy Kaufman and and Carl Reiner like is this my life right now that I'm sitting on I'm sitting in a chair next to Carl Reiner and George Shapiro's making fun of my wallet how did this what's the I couldn't have charted the path that would get me there on purpose hmm. what is a George Costanza wallet well it's it's uh, a Seinfeld reference it's just too much crap in your wallet too many oh problems. i would i would be the i would be guilty of that myself he was uh, and reiner was writing a lot of books at the time and he, he his publisher told me look if you because reiner told me what uh, he wanted me to get two rubber bands uh and put my cash in one and my cards in the other and that's it and travel lightly and and, and if i managed to do that his publisher wanted me to send him a photo of that uh and i may have have wound up in one of reiner's books as a success story but I'm still, <laughs> but i'm still it never happened because i couldn't i couldn't tear myself away from my costanza wallet yeah i don't i, I don't i don't i prefer a wallet i think than just having my money in a rubber band i think i don't, yeah. I don't think that seems like a good goal but I, I don't well, know. I'm a pack rat. You I mean you can see the all the stuff behind me on the the shelves. I'm kind of a pack rat, anyways. But I did regret. I I did feel like I let down Carl by <laughs> by by not changing my wallet ways. Right. Well, it's never too late. Maybe you could uh, yeah. you could switch over to rubber bands here in the near future. As, as a tribute uh, that no one on Facebook will understand, the picture of my credit cards and and my cash in two separate rubber bands yeah uh how is the rise of podcast affected um stand-up because a lot of stand-up comedians have their own podcasts and then they're on each other's podcasts i think that that sometimes it, it might have a negative effect in that people might go on stage and talk like they would on a podcast and and maybe don't necessarily develop the act, but I don't think that's necessarily, I don't think that's necessarily widespread. Uh, I think podcasting uh, and YouTube together had an effect that a lot of comics can talk directly to their audiences now. uh, And maybe they can, they're not as dependent on the gatekeepers that they might have been in the past to get into the clubs uh, every once in a while, I will see somebody come up and play a, th- a th- thousand or two thousand seat theater, 
and I'll think, oh, I might want to write a, you know, a short preview of that. Like that's something without an interview, just, you know, putting it in the, the, the calendar section. And I don't know what they would do on stage. So I can't necessarily write about it with authority. Cause you know, some, uh, you'll have somebody, they have an Instagram account, which is just them like walking around their house, making fun of their cabinets or, you know, whatever <laughs> they're, they're, they're sort of doing it like, all right, well, that's funny. That's an amusing thing. How does that translate to the stage? So I think that's, they're, they're two completely different, but complementary formats. Uh, because the podcast, a podcast can make you popular. It get, it helps your audience get to know you better. Uh, it can be very personal. It can allow you to tell people where you're going to be and allow you to develop a fanship in a city that you would have to, to previously you'd have to visit and work your way up from some small club and try to get a foothold so people know who you are. Uh, now sometimes you can bypass that a little bit uh if you you get a popular podcast that that spreads that precedes you so that people know who you are and, and can book you because they know you have a following already i heard a comedian recently say on their podcast that it used to like you can make a he's just like saying you can make like a good living now with a certain number of fans for your podcast because they'll travel around or whatever as it yeah. used to be you'd have to have that those fans in each like you know market each city or something yeah i mean certainly if you're selling something to them or if you have advertising on your podcast it's one i mean stand-up comedians have always been sort of uh the swiss army knife of entertainers they people would use them in advertising uh, music shows would have them as MCs. There, you could do character acting work. Uh, there were always a few different options if you were good at at what you did as a comedian, if you were memorable in some way. And and podcasting seems to be sort of just adding to that tool belt of a way that you can make a living if you've got an idea that might resonate with people. And you've got a little bit of a following already. You can push that idea out there and see if it see if it spreads. Especially if you've got fans who are willing to tell other fans uh, what they like about this and and how to find it. If you if you can make other fans into evangelists, you can. That can be a very solid sort of plank in your career. Of course, you never want to. You never want to come up with a with an idea based on it being a solid plank in your career, because then likely it won't mean anything. It'll be it, it'll probably be just something pandering or ambitious. So it's it's got to be something that a lot of people will relate to or it'll resonate with enough people that it'll sort of spread on its own. Um, what's your take? I don't even, uh, I don't like to use the word, uh, woke, but, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess for, you know, people in stand up and people talk about stand up or comedy in general, talk about, 
uh, the rise of wokeness will, you know, it hurts comedy. What What is your take on that? Well, I don't know that people will sometimes complain that, that comedians are too sensitive. I, I, I talked about this. I do a, a, a presentation on the history of Boston comedy and somebody I do a Q&A after and somebody asked uh, a, a similar question. There are people who will pander to a certain political preference, whether that's more left-leaning or more right-leaning, and you can find an audience that way. Uh, I don't necessarily think the comedians are too sensitive these days. By the way, what is the what is the language rating on this podcast? Am oh, I, you can say whatever you want, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, because the... the uh, the line that keeps coming up in my mind is uh, the venerable Winston Zeddemore Jr. from Ghostbuster. I've seen shit out there that would turn you white. Uh, there's still th there's still people making transgressive comedy in the clubs and basically everywhere. I mean, you can the the uh, the friction that we get to, I, I think, is most mostly with social media because anything that you say you can you get that sort of there's a mob mentality coming back at you on twitter or instagram everybody can sort of gang up and then it looks like a lot of people think a certain way about right. what you've done when it's really like two people <laughs> it, it, it can just be it can just be two people i mean and also Mostly when somebody complains about wokeism, it's a cringy word in and of itself. Usually, I agree. 100%. <laughs> usually what they they mean is that something is is too liberal or yeah. I, I don't know what how you wanna how you wanna describe it. It's or too progressive. Uh and it seems like a code word for, you know, I wanna make fun of my Minorities, but I, right. I can't nowadays because every yeah. me so yeah. sensitive. Like yeah. outing yourself. <laughs> there. Yeah, I mean, there's. I mean, comedy can be rough. It's you've got to decide how much you can stand. You've got to decide. I think about this all the time. What is the practical effect of, of somebody saying something horrendous on stage? I mean, there's a cumulative effect and that's how it sort of comes to play in race and gender. I think where one guy saying something misogynistic in a club. All right. If it was just that, then you just write that one guy off. But if it's, a theme if it's if it's in a lot of comedy if it's influencing the way people think and then there's another difficulty you have there uh talking about is it influencing people people have their own free will they can do whatever they want yes ideally but there can be uh it can get to a point where you're reinforcing something that's not worth reinforcing and some people think that they're they're being sort of a rebel by reinforcing what's the status quo in a lot of places uh that that 
just because somebody might take offense that that thing is worth saying. And that may or may not be true. You've got to sort of take everything on a, on a sort of case. Right. By case if you jo- a lot of times people who joke about a certain thing, it's not necessarily a joke about that. It's using something that's so extreme. That's the joke itself is like, I would use something so extreme. Like, I obviously don't think this. And most jokes yeah. aren't like someone's actual, you know, like a declarative statement. Yeah. Some, sometimes they are. Right. Uh, right. Like you and, said, it depends on the, each person. Or, yeah. I remember interviewing uh, Patrice O'Neill years ago and uh, he started this riff where he was trying to talk me out of my marriage. And I thought, Oh, that the, you know, that's a funny riff. He does stuff like that about, you know, uh, men and women in relationships all the time. But then like 10 minutes in, I'm like, Oh, he's really, he's, he's, he's really arguing for this. Like, hey, no, Hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not going to let's. And uh, I mean, the interview was supposed to be out about a show called web junk too. And I don't think Patrice gave half a crap about the show necessarily. So I think he was trying to, 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 to talk about something that was more interesting, but yeah, every once in a while you, you do get uh, people who are serious about the thing that you think they're joking about. But most of the time it's, it's the other way around. Yeah. Uh, Patrice, very funny guy though. I, um, a lot of those people yeah. came out of the ONA uh, world, very funny people, and uh, all of them have gone in, in some strange directions. But yeah, yeah, yeah there are a lot of comics. <laughs> there, they, you know, there are a lot of of those comics who are like the the shock comics or uh, people from, especially from. I mean, the 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 Opie and Anthony tour was called the Traveling Virus. They they know the deal. They know what they were they were doing, but. I do have to say, you know, people like like Jim Norton, who sort of uh, has this sort of creepy persona on stage, was any time I've spoken with him is a very sweet sort of guy, uh, and some you'd be surprised sometimes. I interviewed um, um, Gilbert Gottfried once by phone, and somebody else answered and they went and caught him and this voice came on and it was, hello, this is Gilbert Gottfried. And I had to think for a minute, like is somebody putting me on. Is, <laughs> I call the wrong number and somebody <laughs> said, Hey, they're asking for Gilbert Gottfried. No, give me the phone. Give me the phone. Um, and I, I asked him at one point, which seemed like sort of proof that this was actually Gottfried. I asked him, are people surprised when they hear, uh, your real voice and he said I, I think they're surprised i'm not a duck um, <laughs> like all right so th- i feel better that this is actually gilbert godfrey now yeah it, yeah people people especially in comedy i think can it's a weird sort of division they can separate their stage self from their real self but then again a lot of the stuff that resonates uh has to be it doesn't have to be but is often something that's personal that that means something to you so it's again all that means is if you're if you're telling me this joke is offensive i need to hear the joke i need to hear and i need to hear the context before i can judge right you couldn't just like read it on paper 
you know, uh, almost any joke just written on paper would be like, what the hell is you know, wrong with this person? But like you said, in context. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I've, the example that I brought up when uh, somebody asked at the, the presentation about uh, people being too sensitive and, and wokeism was uh, I've been listening to a lot of George Carlin uh, again recently. Uh, it just makes me happy to revisit his stuff like once a year. And he had this giant riff on suicide, which is not a funny topic, but you can hear the challenge. Like this is something that he knows people are going to freeze up about. Uh, so he went on the, 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 the practical side of it was a lot of, of the routines like, well, I'm, you got to decide what day you're going to do it. Can't do it Tuesday. Cause I'm taking Timmy to the circus. Uh, can't do it Wednesday. Cause I've got my massage, my massage appointment, uh, Wednesday the, or Sunday, the folks are coming over Sunday. Like <laughs> he goes through the whole riff about, you know, and then how would you do it? I uh, said, well, I've got a rope in the garage, but it's got paint all over it. And I don't want to get that on my neck. Uh, of course, I don't want to spend a lot of money on a rope. Uh, if I'm just going to die right afterwards, but then again, I can put it on a credit card. That's it. I'm going to hang myself and Walmart's paying for it. Like that's like, it's still uncomfortable, but he, there are actual, there are actual jokes and premises and an, an idea there that he's taking you to someplace uncomfortable, but he's also allowing you to, to laugh along the way. And some, some people think the joke is just mentioning the uncomfortable thing. Mm -hmm. right yeah it's not necessarily a joke about that it's like oh right. suicide's hilarious or you know right yeah um the uh do you have any thoughts on the ai george carlin that came out recently that was atrocious I, I listened to about two minutes of it um if i want to hear somebody do an impression of george carlin and i'll go back to to todd glass who does a wonderful impression uh, of george carlin the jokes are, are all now it's it's come out now that, that a guy is taking credit for writing the thing. So it wasn't written by AI apparently. And I think that's partially a legal dodge, but we'll see how that that's got to sort of shake out in court. It's um, there's, there's no point to it. It's like George Carlin, the video game. Like if, if you've got a bunch of people together to, to write what they think George Carlin would look like. And, it's also very strange because the video of it is just AI art of George Carlin in front of audiences and there's no real video to it. The writing is really bad. It's, it's trying to ape the way he would attack a premise and it's, it's, it, it the comedy itself is, is, terrible i mean maybe maybe i didn't give it long enough maybe at minute four is when it gets really good <laughs> uh i'm doubting that yeah but what i heard was not worth anyone's time and an insult to george carlin's legacy yeah i mean just the whole idea is like i think it'd be the whole idea is awful to do for anyone but like george carlin especially seems like a really bad choice and and the and mm -hmm. like actual comedians were behind it which you would think like that would be like blasphemy to them to like even you know like to attempt to do something like this i don't really i don't really understand who would appeal to 
Well, I think they're trying to figure out like a new market, a new thing to do that, you know, just like we talked about trying to find a thing that resonates with people for your podcast. This is them trying to see what's marketable. And if, if I can't see them necessarily doing another one, apparently this is the second one they've done. The oh, first, really? a, the first AI, um, I tried to find it. I couldn't find the video of it, but I think it, it wasn't, uh, I don't think it was AI of a known comic. I think they were just trying to create an AI comic. Um, and that, I don't know how well that went cause I couldn't find the, the video of it, but I can't imagine considering the reaction that this has gotten, that they'll go back to at least the idea of trying to make an AI special, um, for a beloved comic. I mean, I guess it was a natural progression from all the hologram tours that we were seeing the, the last few years. The there were, there was going to be a Frank Zappa hologram tour. Where have you? Do you know the the premise of yeah, these? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there was a Roy Orbison tour. There were a couple of others. I can't remember who other who else they did, but just trying to recreate these people instead of trying to do something yourself that's yeah and you can be influenced by those people it's like instead of recreating them like oh i'm gonna you know because everyone's influenced by someone you know carlin was yeah. influenced and you know but he didn't just like i'm gonna be uh lenny bruce so, you know i'm influenced by him you know yeah uh, yeah i mean a, and oftentimes even if you're trying really hard to imitate somebody else I think somebody, I think a lot of people's signature styles probably came from them poorly imitating somebody else and <laughs> right. ac accidentally finding who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael, I uh, just got out of meeting and tuning in, but wanted to say hello, Nick Rules. <laughs> hey, Mike, how's it going? Uh, Dave Deadman, I agree. There's a big difference between dark humor and just saying something shitty for the sake of being shitty. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was, yeah, that's a good way to put it instead of, uh, the big long but anyway yeah uh, <laughs> i would agree yeah i mean but then, then again show me what you're talking about usually and i'll tell you you know <laughs> yeah. not that you're seeking my approval for anything but i've got to <laughs> right. see and by the way I... uh the uh, hologram tour totally ties into the once in future smash which uh Today is the final day to uh, to help get the physical releases out there, and also if you uh, if you want like the two double disc Blu-ray, uh, it'll be for sale later on. But if you get one through the Kickstarter, it'll have a special uh, slip disc or cover. So yeah, and there's and also it, a lot of cool other perks here. Yeah, don't forget the the novelization. I think is also yes. I'm excited about that. I, I'm I'm hoping he does an audio version of this as well because I'm a big audiobook guy. Oh yeah, yeah, I enjoy that as well. That would yeah. be fun. I just like to make more work for for Michael. <laughs> yeah, let's think of <laughs> let's think of of ten other things we can put on their plate and. Yeah, but I I need to find the I need to find out what happens the last half hour of uh, End Zone too. So I need to read the the novel. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Because you the ending is actually in there. Mm -hmm. That's, That's very. A I never asked. What uh, was it? 
a conscious decision not to shoot the last half hour of that to make that sort of a mystery that that people couldn't find or was that a uh, a financial limitation that you were able to write in uh, yeah i don't want to speak for mike but it was definitely the idea going in was uh, um, the last half hour would be lost because that's also the a running joke in uh in smash and it's it's interesting because it uh you know i don't give away much of the movie because it's you know a right, lot of right, you know right. people just seen it at the festival but it's definitely it was a conscious decision well you've got two different kinds of movies that that work very well together and i think horror fans would enjoy both of them greatly yeah and th those are the two funnest movies to watch with an audience are horror movies and comedies because you know yeah you interact together with them well, it's, it's sort of an aerobic workout, you know, it, you, you laugh, or you, you gasp, you're sort of, there's a physical reaction to both of those things. And one, one ratchet, well, they both ratchet up tension and one of them releases it and the other doesn't. So it's sort of a, just what it does to you physically while you're watching it. If you, if it's done really well, you can really feel like you, you've spent time with something. Uh, Michael says, it's always the premise, and it's part of the plot. We wanted to keep the movie short so it could play as a double. That's also a good ah, point. Okay. Uh, you know, when we're sending out to the festivals, I was uh, worried, you know, because it's basically two and a half hour runtime, uh, you know, if, if a lot of people would, would take it. And uh, pleasantly surprised many did. So. That's still only, what, one-fifth of the running time of Dune? <laughs> very so, true yeah and there's not nearly as much sand in our movie <laughs> right not nearly <laughs> there's a little because you know just demographically you want to play to to the biggest audience so you have to have sand yeah yeah that that is yeah w when we're doing a uh, demo research it's like the kids all love sand <laughs> that would be great if you could if you could infiltrate all of those uh all of those questionnaires and all the market research and just put something random in there <laughs> yeah. yeah we we got all our results back and uh it turns out everybody loves sand do we have anything <laughs> in the work with that, sand that, right that's now? a movie on its own i like this yeah. this is this is a new mockumentary we can make yeah we like that <laughs> uh what is it the the player um the uh the robert altman movie with uh tim robbins mm -hmm. So uh, you're also touring uh, with a lecture. So the, le so the lecture is a history of comedy in Boston? Yeah, it's 100 years of Boston comedy going back to vaudeville days, uh, like the uh, B.F. Keith's Theater on Tremont Street in 1894 uh, is, is opened and declared a, a vaudeville theater, uh, which has reverberations down the line for the the tenor of entertainment in america uh from then on uh vaudeville radio uh television stand up in the clubs there's there were a lot of people that came through this scene early on eva tangway the queen of vaudeville uh came up in holyoke uh fred allen who was a huge radio star for 17 years um was was born in uh in somerville although his one of the details in the 
uh, in the lecture, I, I talk about how he was born, his family lived on the a street that was the dividing line between Somerville and Cambridge. So he found out his birth certificate was in Cambridge uh, later on when he went to look for it to do international travel. And he thinks that his dad uh, was maybe a little bit drunk and went to the wrong city hall to file the the birth certificate. You have people like Bob and Ray in radio start out in uh, WHDH in 1947. You know, uh, Bob Elliott is Chris Elliott's dad as well. Oh, I should know. Gone um, through the, the 50s, Lehrer and Rusty Warren, uh, a sort of musical legacy. Bill Dana, Norm Crosby through the 70s, Jay Leno in the 70s, and then sort of the floodgates open up in the boom in the 80s. And you have Stephen Wright and Paula Poundstone and Gene Garofalo and Lenny Clark and Barry Crimmins and Tony V and all of these, these people. There, there are just an awful lot of people who have come through this scene or come up in this scene over the years. And I think people are, are surprised sometimes when just putting all the names together of, of people who have come through Boston. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So where can people uh, like uh, find out where that, that that's going to take place? Like the, the tour. I've got a, uh, a Facebook page for a hundred years of Boston comedy and a uh, hundred years of Boston comedy.com. Those are the two main places. Now people can find it. All right. And I'll put the link uh, on, on the website. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And so uh, you're launching, uh, uh, so you're going to, the, your, uh, the, your radio online, is that going to be like a podcast? Can you explain what that's going to be? I'm going to, I'm launching hopefully April 1st. I'm working on trying to get everything together for it. And I've been working on it for several months. Uh, I, I'm going to be launching Boston Comedy Radio online. It'll be a 24-7, mostly automated uh, radio station, but there will also be a podcast where I talk to uh, stand up performers, uh, sketch improv people, musicians, bookers, historians, and, and journalists about the history of, of Boston comedy. Uh, I'm sort of, these these last couple of years, I've been doubling and tripling down on Boston comedy, trying to chronicle the history of the scene, because I'm also writing a, a, a book on the same subject that I'm trying to, uh, to get out there. Uh, my, I'm hoping... It'll be a cumulative effect. Ooh, that's a fun word to try to say. <laughs> a cumulative effect. It is, yeah. uh, That people will sort of see the longer stretch of, of Boston comedy history when I'm done. And maybe that's something uh, someone else can, can build on. That they'll sort of see where things come from. Uh, how, how many people came through here. They'll be able to hear it on the radio. Uh, they'll be able to, to see the lecture and they'll be able to, to read the book for more detail. That's cool. So I'm interested in that. That sounds, uh, and it seems like it's something uh, you're passionate about and knowledgeable about. Yeah. It's a, uh, I have a, a friend um, named Matt York who has been, who was doing a, uh, a show called uh, Highwaymen Songs and Stories about, you know, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Uh, uh, and that sort of that that country super group 
from from the 80s and he was pushing me to do something to find some way to to go out and tour with the same sort of thing and i was trying to figure out what it would be for comedy and i was struggling with how because i i wouldn't be able to go up and perform the comedy like he does the, the songs for this so at one point i i figured out well fred allen becomes popular around 1922 1923 that's when he sort of becomes more of a national figure that's a hundred years i can just cover that and i can play people clips uh from, there's a lot of bob and ray clips if you take anything from the uh, my talking about boston comedy today go find bob and ray clips and listen to them they were they worked together for about 40 years yeah because i think it was 1987 when ray died and they were still working for npr doing shows up until like the year before that sorry that was very rambling i oh, it's fine to... Catherine Capazzi says hello hello how she's are you the facebook user she's she that's actually Catherine. i keep asking people questions when they've sent a message on facebook i realize that that's they, they can't say hello back when i say hi oh yeah well she'll say hi back here eventually yeah, yeah. uh so you also have a uh, uh, publish some uh, short horror stories a couple yeah it's it's the the least sort of polished part of my writing career but there's a really great horror community in new england that's very welcoming uh very nice people uh would always willing to sort of help you they, they're they're always sort of rooting for you to for the writing to work out it's it's a very helpful and supportive horror writing community up here so we started off you know saying you put out a facebook post like i would like to uh you know write a horror a song for a song for a horror movie at some point and this is mm. how you it all came about so are you a horror movie fan yep horror movies and and horror books i'm a, a big fan especially during uh, uh during the pandemic i somehow hooked uh, my wife melissa into bad horror movie watching we sort of enjoyed it and going back to like 2003 or something i started to have more of an interest in it going back and watching old horror movies and then sort of Shaun of the dead is has been a, a favorite and that sort of i guess pulled me back into being kind of a, a rabid horror fan so you said a uh, bad what, what are some of your favorite you know quote-unquote bad horror films oh man i'm i'm not gonna remember i just saw I'll, I'll go with what i saw this week i just saw galaxy of terror oh yeah for the first time this week oh wow yeah <clears throat> and that's my a, favorite giant space slug, slug human uh, sex scene in a film <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's made the the top 10 in that category and for a lot of people i think but the, uh, that's a what is it roger corman it's he's produced it somebody else directed it i forget who but that was a 
a uh, a response, let's say, to Alien. They really wanted to Corman make really wanted to make an alien like film, and you could see that all over. But it also has its its own kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's in trying to be all things to all people and trying to to copy everything from something else it wound up being kind of its own thing it it looks it has its own look there were some surprisingly good i guess james cameron did a lot of the effects uh work on that and he was they picked his brain for that and it was only it was only what a three or four years later he'd be directing aliens this the sequel to it so that i enjoy that kind of stuff where you see the inventiveness of okay we've got four dollars and we need to make you believe that we're in space uh what do we do uh there was a great i'm forgetting the name of it there was a, a ultra low budget zombie movie uh, Eng- uh, from England. It's a guy's name, and it's the uh, the conceit of it is that it is a zombie movie told from the zombies' point of view. Interesting. Yeah, Do you know sure. that one? No. Uh, I'll try to Google it while we're we're talking without causing too much. Yeah. But it uh. It's you get this sort of you get a lot of the sounds uh, that it hears, and you get to hear its victims. You get to hear uh, like there's one incredibly effective scene I think where a a mob of zombies breaks into a house. And you can see all the same things you'd see in a normal horror horror movie. Um, you know the the people trying to escape, the, the they're barricaded upstairs, but you don't get to see. It doesn't flash to their perspective. You only see them from the perspective of this guy who was a human at the beginning of the movie and gets bit and turns into a zombie. Uh, but Dave's saying it's a Colin. Yes, that's it. That's it. Thanks, I would. Dave. I had Carl in my head, and I know that would be a stupid name for. Uh, yes, yes, two thousand eight, Colin. Yeah, because Carl would be a very strange, a little, little too avuncular a name for a zombie movie. But you hear the screams and the shouts from his point of view, where he is in this mob downstairs. You see the people fighting to get upstairs. It's uh, that w- that was a really effective scene for me, and I mean they say that that was shot for like twenty six bucks or something, but somebody uh, I guess somebody else has popped up and said, yeah, it was sh- it was shot for that much money, but this guy's also a- an effects guy himself, and he he called in a lot of favors for for some things, but <clears throat> I don't know th- I don't know if I'd call that bad. It was definitely low budget. Um, there are a lot of 60s and 70s movies some of them i can't even i can't even name cuz there's sometimes you watch this stuff streaming 
at three in the morning. Yeah. Wake up with this vague memory of having seen this weird. And on Tubi, the films, they'll just, uh, you know, just go to the next one and you might not even, you know, what, what, what movie it is. Yeah. I mean, and the, I, there are people who adore that aesthetic and make their own, their own movies, just destroy all neighbors. Oh, I love that Great movie. Power. So good. Yeah. We just had a, a bunch of the cast on and the director. That's, oh, yeah. Uh, I know we're early in the year, but it's my favorite movie of the year so far. That's it's so fun. Somebody mentioned afterwards that like it's it's a little light on plot, and I guess afterwards, I guess that's true. But but I don't think that that's what I was looking for in that movie. And this is enough story to, and it's a, a glorious sort of. Yeah, it's a really it's fun. It's over the uh, every character is fun. Uh and I, I was happy like the the homeless guy in it, like he pops up and I really yeah. like him and then like he becomes like a, a bigger character. I was like, "Oh, I I'm glad cuz I really like that guy." And yeah, just the everything about it I enjoyed. The look of it, the look of the uh the apartment, just the, everything mm -hmm. about it. Even as soon as it started, the the opening credits like had me hooked. I was like, "Oh, I like this." Yeah, I I enjoy I also was with somebody who didn't have cable as a kid. Uh, so there was a lot that I missed out on, including Joe Bob Briggs, mm -hmm. uh, that I, ever since he came to Shudder, I've been able to see what he's all about. And I watch uh, The Last Drive-In frequently. And I enjoy the idea of somebody who's a scholar of bad movies or weird movies at the very least because it's probably they tend to get sort of dumped in together yeah but i just saw a, another movie that that scared the crap out of me as a kid uh they were showing it at cinema salem in their nightlight series which is which is excellent uh surf nazis must die All right <laughs> have you seen that yeah yeah but, uh, i haven't seen it for a long time but it was one that i had watched when i was a kid a few times yeah 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 i i me too and, and i probably shouldn't have been allowed to see it uh, <laughs> as a kid I, I think also i saw it man it must have been i don't know maybe 12 or 13 it was i saw it very young because it was the uh the video store age mm -hmm. which you know when the thing you wanted wasn't in, you would get whatever was right. new next. So, uh, so many movies would just come through the house that way. And Surf Nazis Was Die was one of them. And I think I thought as a kid, that's what Los Angeles was. <laughs> um, like it, they, that's why I Michael think, and Sophia moved out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I think that movie and To Live and Die in LA came out around the same time. I'm like, this is, I should never go to Los Angeles. This is. <laughs> This, if this is what Los Angeles is, I mean, I don't know when I was disabused of that notion, but I've, I, I can say that I've been there <laughs> uh, several times since and, and found it lovely in many regards. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Surf Nazis must die is not, uh, you know, a great depiction of, of LA life. No. Well, I mean, it's supposed to be the post-apocalypse i guess my 13 year old self just sort of breezed over that and thought wow this is what it is right now like well no it's... maybe that explains michael's mohawk he's like i gotta get the mohawk <laughs> before i go out here i gotta you know so as sort of a, a defensive posture 
try to to try to blend in. Well, the the other thing about Surf Nazis Must Die, seeing it on the big screen, there's some wonderful cinematography in that, which seems like a very strange thing to say about a trauma film mm -hmm. about beach gangs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's some... It just shows what you can do with, with a, a little bit of concept... Uh, some imagination and some grunt work because there are like, there's an Asian gang there and they found this like pagoda on the beach somewhere uh, that fits that brilliantly. There are some locations in that, that movie that are really of, and some shots. I mean, there are also a lot of like repeated shots uh, of the ocean. Cause I don't know how, how much of their budget they had to, to be able to, shoot in water um but there are some really kind of beautiful scenes in that which I've, something in my brain is resisting for some reason saying hey there's some really beautiful scenes in surf nazis must die um, don't sleep on on trauma for oscars in 1983 whenever that was made mm -hmm. they got robbed uh, a lot of people think it's a trauma movie, but it's actually one they bought and distributed. Uh, oh. Didn't make it, kind of saved it from the del video delete bin of cinema. Well, for that, I am I am thankful because I I enjoyed it greatly. Yeah, I actually did. I actually did think it was a, a straight trauma movie too. So I didn't know that myself. I think there was some trauma branding on it when uh, when I saw it. Yeah, that that's what made me mm -hmm. think that that it's a. Uh, yeah, the uh, the the is it okay to to sort of plug Cinema Salem's Nightlight? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, they they show trailers before each one of them, uh, and you get a you get like a, a fake coin, and you get to vote. There are jars outside. Which one you want to see at Nightlight sometime in the future? So it's uh, and there was another. Duh, I shouldn't even bring it up because I can't re remember. But there was another <laughs> trauma film that looked fantastic. I haven't seen a ton of of trauma stuff. Um, I've seen I've seen a, a small handful of uh, trauma films, but I know there there's an extensive library. Oh yeah, there. and so many you know, uh, lots of uh, to you come know, people through who went on to do. A lot of people, Making you know, went on to do bigger things, you know, came through trauma. So. But I, yeah. I, I like a lot of the trauma stuff from that era. Yeah, is so, it? It's that yeah. seems like the golden era, the eighties. That was the maybe the golden era of of trauma films. Would you say? Yeah, I, I would say yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to insult anyone out there who uh, mm. likes trauma from the two thousands, but uh, but I mean, there's there's some gems uh, later ones like uh, Poultry Geist. I think is <laughs> is, is fun. I can't movie. remember if I've seen that one. I'm a sucker for uh, for the a lot of that kind of. Oh, I I do remember one. There are a couple of really really bad ones. Uh, Melissa and I watched. Because somebody posted a picture of it, uh, Shark Exor Exorcist. Yes, yeah. The other day, uh, so that I don't know why that came back up. That was an exceptionally terrible 
uh, film. There are a couple that I, I originally came from upstate New York, so I'm I'm proud to claim uh, Terror at Bloodfart Lake as uh, <laughs> some people from my neck of the woods who made a very low a very low budget entertaining there are there's there is a lot of sort of winking at tropes so you're from fart blood league yeah well uh, uh, fart blood jake uh, adjacent like we oh, were yeah, fair enough. Uh, we may we may have played them in soccer uh, <laughs> high school and nobody ever wanted to play the blood fart lake trojans <laughs> they were tough and mean yeah i'd love to see their mascot yeah, I mean, I felt a a dumb sort of pride because I saw that on on Amazon. Just looking through, because I was looking through stuff like Velocipaster, which is which, a, that's a that's actually a very good movie. Honestly, yes, it's, it's very good. They were they were they will never acknowledge that the dinosaur was uh, in the film. It, it's never you don't get like the wink that our dinosaur is the thing that you bought at Party City, the inflatable <laughs> costume. Uh, and Spaghetti Man, which was a, it's I guess technically a superhero film, but I I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's uh, no. I actually saw the uh, I saw the star of Velocipaster. He was at our uh, U.S. premiere in L.A. But and that's very cool to me. But I didn't know who to tell. Like, hey, that's the guy. That's the lead from Velocipaster. He's I love that. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that there'll be a, a sequel at some point, but that that blood ter terror at Bloodfart Lake was was uh, I think for I think because I watched Spaghetti Man and Velocipaster, Amazon said, "Hey, you might like this." <laughs> like, and I found I only found out afterwards that it was made up in a in upstate New York. They're like, "Hey, it's my people," but I don't know. It's a civic pride is is kind of silly as a concept to begin with but mm. I'll, I'll apply it here it's it's as well applied to yeah i don't i not to my knowledge i don't know of any movies that were filmed in sandwich massachusetts i don't have any there's probably something but uh none that come to probably, mind maybe there might have been a cutscene from winter beast <laughs> maybe so maybe so <laughs> let me make sure i've got the title winter beast correct that, that, i'm curious to watch this now it's it well i mean there are yeah yeah it is winter beast uh, i think it's yeah video 1992 some of it i think was shot on film and i think some of it was shot on video and there are certain places where uh they've used claymation to show really evil things uh, which is kind of was kind of a, a cool look there was almost something evil dead like about the claymation although it was it was nowhere near as sophisticated as as Raimi was able yeah to, i to love do. claymation so that's very that's like you know it's claymation and basket case that seems really out of place but yeah. I, I love that it's in the movie yeah. It shows up in the '80s every once in a while. What, because of the the California raisins or something, or, or be, it, it, it like in uh, Better Off Dead? There's the everybody wants some uh, scene where there's like a dancing waffle singing David Lee Roth. Do you remember that? Do you do you remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, every once in a while, there would just be a scene in an '80s movie where it's just, <laughs> "Hey, right. we had an extra four hundred dollars." 
So you get this scene, this claymation scene. Yeah, and there's some claymation in the Once and Future Smash to bring this all uh, back. <laughs> right. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> Made by uh, Sophia Cassiola. Yes, it's the wonderful. I was, I, I, I had not expected to see that in the movie when it came up. It's, it was fun to see. Yeah, yeah, I didn't either, and I was you know, involved in in, <laughs> in the movie. But yeah, it was very cool. Uh, so once the feature smash end zone two, you can help out on uh, the Kickstarter. Today's the last day. Uh, there's, I don't know, eight hours or something left. So very happy that people have. Uh, have get together to uh to help get the movie out there i'm glad people want to see it or see it again if they saw it at uh at a festival and i really love not just because i'm part of the movie but i love your songs in the movie a guy like smash and long dead and i would like to check out some of oh, your other you. uh music oh yeah i'm on uh uh band camp um and that's that's mainly where where i am i'm on facebook and uh all the social medias but just uh under nick zeno on Bandcamp, you can find my my other stuff i still need to 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 get my chops up to play a guy like smash live i wonder oh, if I that should, would be amazing like yeah. in the middle of a show just play that it's it's so it it's it doesn't necessarily sound like anything else i do so it might be fun to drop it in and not tell anybody a single thing about it i love that idea i'd love to be there and record that and see what people's reaction is yeah it'd be, i have played long dead as an electric version oh, really? uh, of it uh and uh somebody said that it sounded like pink floyd when i play it oh well, I, that's a, I think that's a good compliment yeah yeah it is i mean the it's it's weird to sing it in front of people because the lyrics are were kind of made to be a little bit silly mm -hmm. and then you see people like in the audience like hmm, like like, like <laughs> oh they did that uh are sort of contemplating it yeah, I love yeah it. there's some very silly lines yeah. they're silly to me i don't know that people even can hear what i'm singing they just hear the 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 minor chord brooding of it and react well, to that i'm so a horror show but i am also interested in uh your comedy stuff and uh i'd like to check out your site when it pops up oh yeah uh 100 years of comedy of uh, 100 years of boston comedy.com that's the uh the site for yeah and then you'll have your podcast eventually popping up here the uh boston comedy radio online Yep. Yeah. All that. Yeah. BostonComedyRadio.com will be the eventual home of that. I don't have that uh, sort of hooked up right. to a site yet. That's what I'm I'm doing now. But thanks for asking about that that stuff. I know that the focus should be on uh, once in future smash. Well, I like uh, to talk about I, everything that you're involved in. But thanks for asking. I appreciate that. I hope people uh, are are interested in that. Find some enjoyment in it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me. The, the, the whole experience w was just really fun to, to, to step into somebody else's shoes to write songs as a, a different person. And when I first heard the songs in the movie, it was like, it was, I, I let out a, a, it was a little 
cheer that said, Hey, that's my stuff up there on a, <laughs> you know, yeah. In a movie, somebody else put, you know, my stuff in the background of their images. No, it works. It's great. Uh, I can't imagine something else in there. And, uh, there's a group effort and yeah, I love your involvement. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it would be cool to talk with you again sometime. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah. All right. I'm going to play the uh, trailer for end zone two for people who haven't seen it yet. Although if they follow the show, I've probably played it many times, but we're going to play it again here and, uh, we'll talk to everybody again. Bye. Bye. In 1955, the George Donner High School football team lost the big game. They beat freshman Jimmy Smazmov until he was hardly recognizable. You people broke his goddamn jaw! Can't even eat like a regular person! But Jimmy recovered. Jimmy Smazmov became Smash Mouth and got his revenge. Did they ever find Jimmy? Who'd smash mouth? He died in the fire. I heard they never found his body. Now, 15 years later. It's really nice to be here with you, Nancy. We missed you. We should just have some fun. We deserve it. I've been coming out here for years. I've never seen that before. What in tarnation? You guys remember AJ? Him and Jimmy were always hanging out together, right? Jimmy was like my brother. I kept him safe. Smash Mouth is back. Do you still have a thing for him? Jimmy, it's me. It's me, Nancy. This time, the cheerleaders who stopped him... I still remember the knife going into her. ...will face their greatest fears. You will know pain and suffering and blood. Don't close your eyes. Don't cover your ears. And whatever you do, don't open your mouth. In zone two, get smashed.